What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer, your host here with you on the evening hours of Thursday, July 7th. It's not midnight yet. It'll probably cross that threshold at some point during this recording, but for now, I'm not a liar. It's still Thursday, and we've got a Cardinals winner to talk about. How about that? It's been a while since we've been able to say that on B-Shape Daily, but the Cardinals got it done on Thursday night against the Atlanta Braves staving off the sweep that seemed so inevitable at certain times throughout the evening as the Cardinals were one batter after another, it seemed, striking out, then striking out some more, and then striking out a little bit more after that just for good measure. Another bad night for the offense, but when you get that Manfred man going in extra innings, the Cardinals, to their credit, do seem to be able to convert. And they did that tonight in both the 10th and 11th innings scoring a run apiece in those frames, holding on to beat the Braves 3-2, to ending the losing streak. Boy, this could have been a... I mean, it was still a pretty bad road trip between losing the series in Philadelphia and then dropping 3-4 of four to the Braves, but you drop this game and it would have been even worse, would have sunk down to 44-41, and 41, just three games above 500. Now they're at least at 45-40, and 40 as they welcome the Phillies into town on Friday night, kicking off a pretty lengthy homestand before the All-Star break begins. And at this point, it's easy to say the Cardinals probably are welcoming the chance to take a few days off for that All-Star break, but they don't get to rest just yet. They've got a lot of baseball left to play between now and then with the Phillies, Dodgers, and Reds coming to town for, I believe it's a 10-game homestand. So that's going to be pretty challenging, but you get to return home for it that's fortunate. But let's break down tonight during this episode of B-Shape Daily, the game from Thursday, as there were some interesting notes from this contest that we should talk about. For one, Spencer Strider, the starting pitcher for the Braves, had his best stuff cooking. 12 strikeouts over six scoreless innings for Strider, and that's just a bad look for the Cardinals, who during that span extended their scoreless streak to 23 consecutive innings dating back to a couple of games previous when they scored that run in the first inning against Atlanta on, I guess that would have been Tuesday, and then were shut out the remainder of the game. So that was eight innings in a row. They were shut out on Wednesday for a nine-inning loss, and then six innings from Thursday's game, 23 innings in a row without scoring a run. Boy, oh boy, was this a, a lineup that was hard to watch for the majority of tonight's game. And you kind of could have predicted it would be that way if you looked at the lineup to begin the day. Brennan Donovan, Juan Yepes, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Nolan Gorman, the first five in the order. That's not such a bad conglomerate. Donovan leading off, Edmund with a day off. Okay, that's that's not so bad. Edmund did get into the game later on, but you had Newt Barr, Connor Capel, Edmundo Sosa, Austin Romine as your final four hitters in the lineup six through nine tonight. And as you may have anticipated, that group not all too productive. Going 0 for 13, reaching base just once a walk for Lars Newtbar. Ali had decided at one point, okay, I've seen enough. He brings in Dylan Carlson as a pinch hitter for Newt. Carlson ends up being the hero of this game in many ways. Three for three, gets an RBI, and ends up with the game-saving play in extras when he ran back as the center fielder, dead-on full sprint toward the warning track, 
makes a great catch on the run and then was able to double up the runner who I believe was a pinch runner at that point, Phil Gosselin. That was in the ninth inning. That ball gets over Dylan Carlson's head. The game is over. The Cardinals are swept in four games. But Carlson makes the play alertly, throws it back toward the infield, and the Cardinals get out of that jam. They give up a run in the 10th. The Manford man scores for Atlanta. There was a moment where you thought it might be even worse than that. You thought the game could end right there. Matt Olson and Austin Riley had consecutive hits. Braves had the go-ahead, not the go-ahead, the winning run on third base. But Ryan Helsley, it was clear that it was going to be his moment. There was nobody warming up to save him in the bullpen. And he gets the strikeout of Darno, and then gets Marcelo Zuna to ground out to end the inning. And Paul Goldsmith saving the day on that play. Tommy Edmond made a couple of throws from shortstop tonight that I, I think showed because for, for so far, we've seen Tommy Edmond be really solid at shortstop. But a couple of the throws that he made tonight, I think, had me reacting in such a way that was like, okay, I guess I can see where the Cardinals maybe had some concern. They were a little bit hesitant to go the Gorman at second, Edmond at shortstop route initially. By and large, he's been pretty good, but the throws were not all that strong. A couple of them from Tommy Edmond in the extra inning late game situations that they had. But Goldsmith was there to save the day. He applied the tag on the air and throw and ends up making it happen to extend the game. Cardinals get it done again in the 11th inning. Nolan Gorman comes through with the big base hit to kind of get things going. Cardinals were very conservative with their base running. Arnado gets to third, but then Dylan Carlson, as I mentioned, had the RBI, and that's where it came. Base hit in the 11th that scored Arnado to take the lead. And the Cardinals end up, my goodness, Packy Naughton, what a job that he did in the 11th inning to be able to pitch around the Manford man. You get that ghost runner at second, and you're Packy Naughton. That is a difficult situation to get into. We just talked about how Packy Naughton was told that, hey, if you end up going the uh, extra inning that we need you to go back on, I guess that was Tuesday's game when they didn't get a very lengthy outing out of Andre Pallante, who got knocked around a little bit in that game just a couple of days ago, and he goes that additional inning, and so he saves his roster spot for the time being. It's a good thing they didn't send him down because I don't know where they would have turned, though, in the 11th inning today. Just one day of rest in between those two outings when he got seven outs in that previous game on Tuesday, and in this one, he ends up pitching in the 11th. Big situation, big opportunity to prove himself a little bit for the Cardinals. And he ends up getting the job done. Just absolute nails right there from Packy Naughton in the 11th. Ends up being called upon because you had Helsley. He ended up pitching a couple innings prior. You had Junior Fernandez already pitched. Gallegos pitched. He gave up a home run in an inning of work. Not really uh, customary for him to, to struggle, but we're starting to see that a little bit more from Gio. Jordan Hicks pitched in this game as well. Two innings where... We'll have to talk about him a little bit because we saw the velocity back for Jordan Hicks, which is really good to see after him dealing with some arm troubles, forearm issue. And this was a Matthew Libertor start. Pitched pretty well. I went toe-to-toe with Strider for four innings anyway. But he walked three, gave up three hits. He was constantly pitching around danger, which cost him a little bit in terms of length in this game for Libertor. And so you... You reverse engineer it, you end up needing all those guys. Hicks for two, Gallegos, Fernandez, Helsley. And so when you get to the 11th, you got to go to somebody. And Naughton, he said after the game, he wanted to be, his dad always tells him, be the blue-collar player, be the blue-collar guy. And when you're blue-collar, 
You take the ball when called upon. You you can give your team a big inning when they need it. And tonight, the Cardinals needed it from Packy Naughton. He ends up getting his first save with the Cardinals by pitching a clean 11th inning, inducing some soft contact. Really good to see. That's that's an example of sealing a game if you're the St. Louis Cardinals. And I know it may not feel that way because you still nearly got swept. You still lost three out of four, and you, you had a wretched road trip. But the Cardinals, in many ways, this game was setting up for them to lose this game, and they find a way to win it. That is the definition of stealing one. It really is. When you strike out 12 times in six innings against the opposing starting pitcher and 19 times for the game, Cardinals struck out 19 times in this one. And you go the first six innings of the game without scoring, and your starter only gets through four, and you end up needing to go to your bullpen for seven out of the 11 innings. That's all a recipe that would suggest there somewhere along the way you're going to get bumped and bruised and you're going to fall in this game. Cardinals just found a way to get it done. Offensively, not a great showing necessarily, not as a team anyway. It's funny, though, you talk about Paul Goldschmidt. He took a walk later in this game that got him on base for the second time. He ends up going one for four with a double, two strikeouts. You might think, man, not a great not a great day for Goldie. Well, he reached base twice still. It's amazing the standard that we end up having for a guy like Goldschmidt if he's not hitting home runs and driving in runs and getting multiple base hits. It's like, oh, what kind of day was that? He still does his job. Arnato reaches base twice via walk, so you could say he did his job as well, even though he's not getting base hits in this game. Yepes, Donovan both get a hit. Gorman ends up coming up with the clutch RBI hit late in the game. They're in the 11th inning. Not the RBI, the Arnato didn't score. Could have probably scored. They played it safe. He doesn't. But two for five for Gorman. That's good to see. It was Dylan Carlson, though, offensively. Like, that's the guy that really carried this thing, and he didn't even start in the game. Three for three, had an RBI, had the game-saving catch in the ninth. What a game for Dylan Carlson. The guy can play center field, by the way. I mean, we knew this already, but it's just amazing how often he comes up with sensational plays in center field for how rarely he ends up playing the position. You know, when Bader is healthy, he's always going to be your right fielder. But we've seen more of Dylan Carlson manning center, and he does such a nice job out there. Prove that again tonight, so really good to see from him. And it's just one of those games that you had to have if you're the Cardinals. I mean, you were really on a trajectory of having things go pretty pretty far south pretty quickly. And you're able to kind of catch your breath with a lineup that I mentioned six through nine. I mean, Newt Bar, 149 batting average. Connor Capel, 214 with an OPS sub-700. Edmundo Sosa, 179 average, 478 OPS. He had a very good defensive play at one point in the extra innings. This one happened in the 10th, I believe it was. But we got to talk about what it looks like for Edmundo Sosa and, and what kind of contributions he needs to be adding to this team in order to solidify his roster spot. Is defensively, in the plays he can make with the glove, is that enough to justify it? Or... Do you look Paul DeYoung's direction with a little bit better offensive production that he's had in Memphis? Maybe he's been able to right the ship. He hasn't been great. His OPS is around 740, but that's a a lot better than he had in the major league level. Granted, it's AAA pitching, but could he end up giving you a spark at some point? Because right now, with the way that Gorman has been treated as a platoon player, pretty much, he's only going to start against right-handed pitching for the most part, and Edmund has really slumped recently. 
Batting average down to 261, OPS to 709. That's not leadoff caliber. And so that's why you've seen him taking some days off. You've seen him move down in the lineup on occasion. They're hoping Brendan Donovan can hold down the leadoff role at times, but he was three strikeouts tonight, just one for five. Average down to 291, OPS down to 797. You're seeing those young guys sort of slip off of the trajectory that they had had been on early in the season. Yepes is holding relatively steady with that 814 OPS. He's kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit, but he's holding serve right now. But they don't have a lot of answers at leadoff, which you kind of have to wonder what maybe direction they go. It's not a perfect answer. However, they have to come up with it. But that's why I look at, okay, which spots on the roster are most questionable. Edmundo Sosa, for me, is definitely one. He's got to do more offensively, I think, to justify his spot, which maybe isn't fair to him. Because if you think about what his role is supposed to be, Edmundo Sosa really is supposed to be a bench guy who can be versatile defensively. He'll play third, he'll play short, he'll play second. He plays good defense at all of those spots. And he doesn't have to necessarily give you a lot at the plate because he's he's not going to be your first right-handed pinch hitter off the bench either. He's a pinch runner type, athletic, but he also shouldn't be starting three, four, five times a week. And right now you're seeing him draw more starts. He started today, started yesterday. Because the Cardinals and Ali Marmol are trying to figure out what they do offensively for a team that's slumping so much right now. And so they're giving run to some different guys. I got to say, I don't think Sosa run for him. I don't think it's the answer. If you wanted to have the roster spot, I think he can be a spark plug at times, but you don't want to overexpose this guy. And that's what you're basically doing right now. Offensively, he is not going to be enough to, to help you turn this around as an offense. Austin Romine. Haven't really talked much about him because... Cardinals called him up a few days ago. Ivan Herrera was just not cutting the mustard, and they decided let's go with a veteran. Well, he this guy is not he's not that at the uh, at the major league level offensively either. I mean, if you were worried about defense, I get that, and maybe Herrera wasn't the option. Kisner plays fine defense. It, for me, I don't I don't want to see any more Austin Romine experience. He four strikeouts today. He's hitting one fifty in a small sample, three forty OPS. I think they just got fed up and they're like, man, we got to have some sort of stabilization to catcher with a veteran we trust defensively. But at the same time, I think Kisner, listen, if Kisner is not that guy, then you got to trade him or you got to get rid of him somehow. If you're really that low on Andrew Kisner, I would love to see Kisner get the chance to play through it. Some people have said, I'd like to see Ivan Herrera get the chance to play through it. I just think he's too raw and not ready. Needs some more seasoning. Hopefully he can end up being a guy that can help you next year. But from what I saw from Herrera, I think he's still got some growing to do. I think Kisner has got to be sink or swim. Give him the chance to sink or swim because Austin Romine, no offense to this guy, but he's not your future at the catcher position at age 33. Andrew Kisner could be, but he needs to show more offensively for sure. But he can't do that if you're seeding at bats to 33-year-old Austin Romine who goes 0 for 5 with four strikeouts today and is at 150 since the call-up. I, I just as soon see Kisner, let Austin Romine be your backup, but I don't want to really see him drawing many starts unless Kisner needs a day. That's kind of the way I feel about that right now. And you can make an argument that the Cardinals need to trade for a catcher because Yadier Molina, yeah, he could be walking back through that door, but I wouldn't expect it anytime soon. I mean, think of the, the dialogue you've heard about this situation. Think about the lack of chatter on Yadier Molina. There's a reason. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. John Mozeliak doesn't know. I don't think anybody knows when to expect Yadier Molina back. He's in Puerto Rico. 
They say he's working hard to get his body into shape where it needs to be. I don't know what any of that means. I mean, we got to be honest at some point. Is Yachty going to be back at all the remainder of the season? I'm going to say probably. There's too much invested in terms of the farewell. And this is last year, so it's not like he's just, unless he's just so physically incapable of doing it. And even if he was, they'd still run him out there for a few innings in September. So I think he's going to be back at some point. I I just don't know when or what you're going to get from him when he is. And so it can be uncomfortable, but I would be looking at that market if it's possible. Would the Cubs trade Wilson Contreras to the Cardinals? How wild would that be? I don't think you can do it because Wilson's a pretty good player, so you'd have to give up a nice piece or two, a prospect, to be able to get that done. And whoever that prospect is, you do not want him haunting you for the next decade as a member of the Cubs. But I, I do think there may be... Some options to consider. Sean Murphy is a catcher for the Athletics. You got to think about next year, too, because if you don't think Andrew Kisner is the guy, or if he's just maybe a backup that you want to see start 50, 60 times a year instead of 150 or 130, even, you do still have to answer for that catcher position next year. And if Ivan Herrera is looking like a question mark to be ready for the Reigns in 2023, whether it's defensively, offensively, just in terms of acclimating to the major league caliber of play. I think that's something you have to at least be aware of. And what that did was it led me to, I received an anonymous contribution for a Cardinals trade poll that I tweeted out on Thursday night. And I'll tell you what it is here. And then I'll tell you why the poll maybe doesn't work quite as good as I thought, or as the person who sent it to me thought it would. This was not my poll, but I did think it was interesting enough to post. Would you trade Mason Wynn, top shortstop prospect? He's been doing well, got promoted to Springfield. Tink Hentz who's a good young pitcher, has gotten going in the lower levels of minor leagues. Big-time prospect that could advance over the next couple of years and, and be something in the future. Uh, would you trade Mason Wynn, Tink Hens, Andrew Kisner, and Jake Woodford to the Texas Rangers for starting pitcher Martin Perez, Martin Perez, who's been pretty good this year, ERA below three. Matt Moore, who has transitioned to a reliever, lefty reliever is an ERA below two. And Mitch Garver. Catcher with 10 home runs this season, OPS in the low 700s. Hasn't had a great year with the batting average. It's about 211. But he's also, the problem with the trade pull, he's been DHing. He has not been catching since mid-May due to a an arm injury that would apparently require surgery in order for him to be in the field. He can swing a bat, but he can't throw. And so he wouldn't exactly be a fix for catcher this season. Next season he could because he is under team control for 2023. But Mason Wynn, Tink Hentz, two prospects, Kisner and Woodford, who they don't seem to be very interested in using. And you trade those guys to the Rangers for Matt Moore, very good lefty reliever, at least the way he's pitching this year, Martin Perez and Mitch Garver. Kind of strikes me as like the Colby Rasmus trade in 2011. Those three guys, you might say, who? Why would we want these guys if we're the Cardinals? Well, you look at it and go, okay, you solve the lefty relief issue, relief issue in general, add to the back end another guy that you would trust, Martin Perez has thrown 100 innings, ERA below three. That's something the Cardinals could use in their rotation. And Mitch Garver fixing the catcher spot and actually giving you some offense from that position, which the Cardinals, I can't remember a year where the Cardinals have been so bad offensively at the catcher position. It's just been brutal. Like Yachty was bad before he got injured. Kisner's been bad. Austin Romine's been bad. Avon Herrera's been bad. So they just have not gotten any production for that spot at the plate. And so you might think, man, you don't want to give up a guy like Colby Rasmus for a bunch of junk. But at the end of the day, how'd that work out in 2011? Pretty well. You'd think Mason Wynn and Tink Hens are two 
surprised in terms of prospects to be able to make a trade like that for a bunch of rentals and a catcher who can't catch. That doesn't sound very fun. And that's the way people are voting it right now. The no's are leading. And I won't give you the exact percentages because I want everybody to kind of make their vote for themselves. So if you have not seen the poll yet, go ahead and head to at bshafer12 on Twitter. Scroll my timeline. You will find it, the most recent poll that I posted. I think it's kind of interesting. It, it kind of shows where the Cardinals are right now. They're in a bit of a desperate place on the rotation. They're desperate for offense. They really could use another bona fide reliever. And so the question that John Mozeliak is going to have to answer, I don't think they're going to be giving up Mason Wynn for a rental. Like I it, it, I don't think John Mozeliak gets that desperate. Even if it means in his heart of hearts knowing that this team in 2022 is not going to be as competitive as it should be without a move like that, I still don't think they do it because I think they value so much the system and being able to trade the prospects. If they're going to do it, they want to do it on their terms. They want to do it in the offseason. They want to do it when it makes sense for them, not in July out of desperation. But I think just the kind of poll that was brought to me, I thought it was interesting because it makes people think a little bit about what could it take and what might the Cardinals have to consider over the next four weeks when it comes to, and really it's about three and a half weeks now, but when it comes to the trade market and how they want to handle it. No, I guess it really is four weeks. July 7th, July 8th, the 15th, the 22nd. Yeah, it's three and a half weeks. I was right the first time. The first time I corrected myself. It's kind of interesting. I don't know what it looks like. I don't think that's a trade that most Cardinals fans would make. I personally wouldn't do it, but I could see the argument for something of that of that ilk with where the Cardinals are right now. Offensively, you're seeing the struggles. You can't have six, seven, eight, nine in your lineup just be a complete dead zone. And it's not going to be every night, but that's the players that played today, that's what it was. I think they were give, trying to give Carlson a day off, trying to give Edmund a day off, trying to give... Arnado a day off of his feed. He was the DH tonight instead of playing third. Trying to give these guys a little bit of rest after a rugged road trip in which they've kind of gotten their faces beat in a little bit, and then they have to go back home for a long homestand and be able to compete and, and try to get this thing rolling again. And so they were trying to give a couple guys days off. It didn't end up working out that way because he needed Edmund to come in late to play defense, to bat. You know, they pinch hit Albert. And then he ends up getting the uh, RBI sacrifice fly that happened earlier in the game that got the Cardinals on the board in the seventh. But then you go Tommy Ebbin for defense. You would switch things around a little bit. Brendan Donovan moving to the outfield. So they they had to use him. They had to use Dylan Carlson. I mean, he took three at-bats tonight. They had to do these things because they needed this game. They really tried to see if they could get away with a, a getaway day lineup. Ultimately, it was not going to work out that way. I mean, if you didn't have the contributions of Carlson in this game, you don't win this game, period, the end. So it was good to see him be able to come in and, and get that done. But what that means is you had a lineup that was less than your best, and so hopefully the Cardinals lineup can be better moving forward than it was tonight and than it looked like it would be tonight. Like you could just tell going into the game, Newpar Capel Sosa Romine is about the worst 6-9 through nine that I think you're ever going to see in terms of expectations for some production. No offense to any of those guys, but you got to look at the numbers, and, and they are what they are. OPS of 495, 679 for Capel, 478, 340. Those are OPSs, not batting average. I mean, Paul DeYoung, not Paul DeYoung, Paul Goldschmidt has a better on-base percentage than the OPS of Austin Romine. I think his on-base is like 427 or something. Just ridiculous. He is the MVP of the league, by the way. But the Cardinals have got an answer for what they're going to do offensively. 
hopefully when you have Carlson in the lineup to start, you have Edmund in there. And I say Edmund, but he hasn't been hitting very well. He's really been struggling. But when you have those guys in the lineup, ideally, it looks a little bit deeper. You feel a little better about it. But at the same time, we've seen days where that has been the case and the group doesn't perform as a whole. And I wonder what they could even do. We've talked a lot about pitching and, and making trades for some pitching. Yeah, you could trade for a catcher. I mentioned that, but that doesn't seem incredibly likely necessarily. Maybe an outfielder like Andrew Benintendi would be interesting. The more I think about it, because if you really are worried about what the leadoff situation looks like, and I'm kind of doing this on the fly. I wasn't. I didn't come into tonight planning to talk about this, but Benintendi this season... The OPS is 791. That's pretty good. It's not outrageously good, but if you look at how he gets there, you can see really quickly how Benintendi would fit as a leadoff man for this team. 316 batting average, 387 on base percentage this season. Those are both career highs as of right now for Benintendi. He has just three home runs and 336 plate appearances, but you don't care if he's got an OBP near 400. That's exactly what you'd be looking for from a leadoff guy. And I would say if... Tyler O'Neill, let's say he experiences another injury setback. He's supposed to come back probably this week. He's been rehabbing with Memphis. He's close. But let's say he gets injured again and you just can't keep him on the field and that hamstring situation, the soft tissue injuries just keep catching up with him. And you go, shoot, it's July 21st and we're still bumming in terms of what the outfield looks like. Carlson's doing fine. But now I, uh, Tyler O'Neill, we don't know. Harrison Bader's got the plantar fasciitis. You don't know how much that is going to impact him the rest of the season. He's dealt with it all year. Maybe the Cardinals do need some outfield help. Maybe Brennan Donovan ends up slumping a little bit and he doesn't look like the answer that we thought he was offensively. He comes back down to, ah, you do you really want him in the outfield every day? Does he need to be an everyday player at this point? What does that look like? Can he be more of a super sub? If that ends up being the case, and, and hopefully it's not, hopefully Brennan Donovan hits, Hopefully Tyler O'Neill gets healthy and performs the way he did in June before the injury when he was OPSing around 900 like he did all of last season. And suddenly you've got another booming bat in the middle of your lineup. Like that would be ideal for the Cardinals. But if it doesn't happen, I could definitely see a world where an Andrew Benintendi in left field or wherever you stick him in the outfield, he's your leadoff guy. He's an OB, OBP on base percentage of, of 390. And you, you say that's perfect because you can set that table for the guys like Yepes or Carlson could bat second or whoever fits into that spot, then you have a little bit of steam ahead of the Goldsmiths, the Arenados, the Gormans. He could Gorman could be a, a guy that bats second against righties if you really wanted to go that route. He's got to cut down on the strikeouts, but I think it could be viable. That would maybe be a way to lengthen the lineup because I just don't know if Tommy Edmonds gonna gonna be cut out for it. When he's going well, it's great. And Ollie talked about needing to see more Line drives to all fields, that's what you see from him when he's going well. But in July, and this was even before tonight when he had an 0-2, I think it was, after coming into the game late. In the month of July so far, he's hitting 160 with a 160 slug. So he's he's even a little bit lower than that now. And that's just not really going to cut it. OBP down to 330 for Tommy Edmund. It's just not really going to be enough from the top of the order. He could be that second leadoff guy. He could still, because he's going to get on base at a decent enough clip that maybe you can you can find a way to bat him ninth and end up really having something there. But with how badly the catchers are hitting, you almost have to bat whoever's starting a catcher in the nine hole right now. 
So I guess that's my roundabout way of, of talking about where can the Cardinals upgrade? I don't really know. It's kind of difficult. We talked about, well, maybe swap Paul DeYoung in for Sosa. They don't want to lose Sosa, but at some point you got to figure out the offense. I would think the catcher route could maybe be something different. I don't know about Austin Romine drawing as many starts as he has offensively. It, I just don't think that he's really going to provide a lot for you. And you've got a lot of holes. You've got a lot of dead zones in your lineup right now. You got to hope that a guy like Tommy Edmond doesn't become one. You got to hope that Brendan Donovan doesn't become one, which he's, I think Brendan Donovan's going to be fine, but he's probably going to level out closer to that 750 OPS, which is still productive. Carlson, for instance, this year is 733. So I think Donovan, if he's 750 OPS, he's still a guy that you can have and he's a guy that you can play quite a bit, but he he's maybe not going to be that elite hitter. Nolan Gorman, his OPS is at 787. I like him to be over 800 given that he's he's here for his bat and you want him to be a middle order bat. But at the end of the day, maybe that's not what he is. Maybe Yepes is around 800. That'd be ideal. He's a little bit above it right now. My point is, you just look at one through nine. If if all these guys end up being just above average, solid, decent, good, instead of great, you don't have the thunder that you you maybe need to be able to get to where you want to go. You've got Goldsmith. You've got Arenado, who are above and beyond, who are elite offensive producers. You've got Tyler O'Neill, who can be. And then who else can elevate their individual game to become that guy? Carlson, it'd be great to see, but we haven't yet in his career. He's been that high 700s OPS kind of guy. Gorman, there's still plenty of opportunity for him to grow and expand what he can do offensively. So far, the numbers are what they are. Donovan's slipping back a little bit. Yepes is is trying to maintain in that area. Cardinals just don't quite have the thunder at this point offensively and certainly when you couple it with the struggles in the rotation, and I do think the bullpen has been a bright spot. I know that you're going to give up runs here and there. Gio gives the one up tonight. Technically has a blown save because of it, but that was in the seventh inning, so whatever. I do think you can end up having a positive experience with that bullpen, but the starting rotation is, I mean, man, Libertor goes four innings tonight. Thank goodness they were all scoreless. Thank goodness he worked around the traffic. But I just I just look at the the innings crisis that continues to loom when you only have starters going four innings and you're like, man, you're putting yourself in a bad position for the upcoming homestand. Dealing with danger that way. So I don't know what it looks like for the Cardinals. I don't know which problem is the biggest. Is it the offense? Is it the rotation? It's probably the rotation. But the offense doesn't have any easy, obvious fixes either. By the way, though, when I when I talk about the bullpen, good to see Jordan Hicks, who wanted to be a starter. That was something that it was meant a lot to him. Hasn't really worked out. Injuries have, have knocked him out of the game for a little while. He's back, and tonight he was throwing 103. So uh, that was good to see from him, and he can do that for multiple innings. We've been talking about this for a while. Like, Jordan Hicks can be the guy that tonight he threw two innings. He can do that. He can do that, and maybe he can do it every three days, every you know, two or three days. You don't have to throw him every five days and stretch him and, and plead for five innings and six innings out of him if he's just maybe not built to do it. And it's not to say that he couldn't ever do it, but there's enough of a sample size at this point that I feel like I'm comfortable logging him into that two-inning roll, two-inning plus, two-and-a-third, whatever. As a reliever, you can, you can have him be that hybrid role and maybe find some success there. And tonight, it wasn't like it was mop-up duty. Cardinals were tied 0-0 zero to zero in this game. That's going to happen, especially with this rotation, where you're going to have games where you're not necessarily in there for mop-up meaningless innings. You need to get outs 
in order to help the team win the game. And that is what Jordan Hicks did tonight. So I don't want that to go unnoticed. That's why I make sure to bring it up here. But as far as everything else goes, offense, I know they won today, but boy, you got to find a way to, to step it up in the rotation. Got to step it up or you got to find other answers. I just don't know if the guys that are on this roster right now are going to be able to do it without a little bit of help from the exterior, unless maybe a Steven Matz comes back and suddenly he's healthy and he's firing on all cylinders and you're good to go. I know they want to plan to have Jack Flaherty back and that that could happen, but it shouldn't keep them from ultimately deciding to make a move if they think a move for a starter is best. Don't do it because you think you have Jack Flaherty coming down the pike. Guess what? I don't think he's coming down the pike. You have to operate at least as though he's not going to because so far this year he hasn't, and it's been enough months that you go, yeah, this is recurring. He's having shoulder issues. Anything we get from him is a bonus. So don't slot him into your August rotation because you think he's going to be back. That's a dangerous game to play because by August, you can't trade for anybody. <laughs> the deadline will have passed. So just things to think about right now if you're John Mozeliak. Curious to see how they approach it. We're, we're getting to be about that time. I know they've got the All-Star break, which is later this year. And so that means after the ASB, you're going to see a lot of a ramp up with trades. I hope that Mozeliak doesn't think you have to wait until the break, though, to do anything. Right now could be the time that you're really starting to ramp those up in terms of conversations for how to supplement this roster. But for the weekend, it'll be Cardinals against the Phillies. Adam Wainwright on the mound on Friday night against Zach Wheeler. What a heck of a pitching matchup that should be. Saturday is Kyle Gibson against Dakota Hudson. Cardinals need good Dakota to come to the ballpark on Saturday afternoon. We haven't seen him in a while. Cardinals could use him. And then Andre Pallante gets another chance. He gets an opportunity on Sunday to sort of wipe the slate from that rough outing that he had in the last start when he gave up the seven runs on the 10 hits. Couldn't go through four innings. Christopher Sanchez will be the 25-year-old left-handed starter that opposes Pallante on Sunday. I think I smell two out of three for the Cardinals. Get a little bit of revenge over the Phillies. We'll see if they're able to do that and kick off the homestand on a good note. Whatever happens, though, I'll be here, Brendan Schaefer, breaking it down on B-Shape Daily. So please do subscribe if you have not done so already. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you are an Apple Podcast listener, you've got an iPhone, it's not hard to go in there and leave a five-star review. That would make my day. Do that real quick. Leave a little note if you'd like to as well. But if not, just click the five stars and we'll be good to glow. So appreciate you guys, as always, for listening to the podcast. Make sure to head to Twitter at bshafer12. Follow me there and vote on the Twitter poll, the trade poll between the Cardinals and Texas Rangers. Curious to see what people think. And so get that voting in within the next, uh, I don't know, 17 hours or so because I know the, the poll will expire Friday night. It's just a one-day poll. So that'll do it for this edition of the podcast. I appreciate you guys as always, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shape Daily. Peace.